Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in New York. I'm Amy Keene. Today we're looking at the dramatic Senate hearings of Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and Christine Blasey Ford, who alleges Mr. Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her at a high school party in the 1980s. The FT's Washington Bureau Chief Dimitri Sevastopolo covered the hearings from start to finish and spoke to me down the line on Thursday evening about how the day unfolded and how the balance of the U.S. High Court will ultimately be determined. Dimitri, let's start with Christine Blasey Ford's testimony, which kicked off the hearings on Thursday morning in D.C. How would you describe the mood as things started? I think it was an incredible day in Washington. I have been covering Senate hearings on and off for 15 years, and I don't think I've ever seen the kind of anticipation that was there before Christine Blasey Ford uh, sat down in the committee room for her testimony. And what stood out during her session? So one of the really interesting things was people didn't know how are the Republicans going to grill her on the accusation she's made that, you know, she has claimed that Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court nominee, when they were teenagers in the 1980s, had attempted to rape her and had sexually assaulted her. And the Republicans were very nervous that if the members of the Judiciary Committee, who are 11 members on the Republican side, and they're all white men, that what would it look like to the American public if you had 11 old, predominantly old white men grilling a woman who claimed to have been sexually assaulted, particularly in the in the era of Me Too. So they hired a outside prosecutor called Rachel Mitchell. And the morning session where uh, Ms. Ford testified was largely Democrats trying to bolster Ms. Ford's case and give her an opportunity to explain away some of the uh, criticisms that have been made by Republicans. And then the Republican senators almost uniformly allowed Rachel Mitchell to ask questions on their behalf. And and Rachel Mitchell was very polite. She was uh, supportive of Ms. Ford, even when she started to question uh, some things uh, where there were questions about some of the testimony Ms. Ford had given. Uh, she even joked with her a couple of times to put her at ease and told her that it was terrible that she felt just petrified about testifying before the committee. The mood was actually very respectful. People were given a chance to ask their questions, and uh, Ms. Ford was given as much time as she wanted to answer. You know, at one point she's asked, you know, is there anything you need as you prepare to testify before us? And she said, well, after my opening statement, I might need some caffeine. And so she was, I think she was brought a, a Coke or a coffee. So then the committee broke for lunch, after which Kavanaugh took the stand, took the witness chair. How did the mood in the afternoon contrast with what you observed in the morning session? Well, so when he first sat down, he came into the committee room. He was escorted by some police and other security uh, officers, some who are actually attached to him because of his role already as an appeals court judge. When he sat down, no one was quite sure how he was going to rebut the allegations and what kind of tone he would adopt. One of the reasons there were questions was that he appeared on uh, Fox television earlier in the week with his wife and rebutted the allegations, said that they were completely false. And his manner was quite mild. And President Trump apparently told some of his aides in the White House that Brett Kavanaugh's defense of himself on television was not good enough and that he was very upset. So whether Kavanaugh was responding to that or whether Kavanaugh was responding to just the overall threat to his reputation, he started with a blistering open statement where he basically accused Democrats running a political circus 
that he said had destroyed his life, destroyed his reputation, and destroyed his family. He accused them of trying to get revenge for the defeat of Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election and said that the confirmation process and the character assassinations against him had been grotesque. He then started to refute the allegations against him and said that you know he had not been at the party where he was alleged to have attacked uh, Ms. Ford. He had never sexually assaulted anyone. Uh, he didn't even remember ever meeting Ms. Ford. And he provided a very, very strong defense of himself. But what was really notable was he was incredibly belligerent in the way he dealt with senators. And normally in the Senate, when you have a hearing, the witnesses are generally quite respectful, even when the senators are not necessarily the same way. But particularly for a Supreme Court nominee, the senator is going to vote on your nomination. And it's, I think, unprecedented in the modern era for a nominee to shout back at the senators, tell them, let me finish, interrupt them, and basically make pretty aggressive accusations about them. But I think it showed that this process uh, in Washington over Supreme Court nominations, which are you know, probably one of the most important things that Washington has to grapple with because of the impact on American society, that it's so polarized, and particularly in the era of Donald Trump, that it's really, really very hard to have a kind of a neutral conversation that doesn't descend into um, this kind of bomb throwing uh, from one side or the other. Mm-hmm. Now, the outside prosecutor that the Republicans had brought in for the first session, she seemed to take somewhat of a back seat to the questioning during Kavanaugh's session. What what happened there? Was that was that the plan? I don't think that was the plan. I mean, I wouldn't say that she took a back seat. I'd say that she was put in the back seat for the morning session with Miss Ford. She essentially asked the questions for all of the 11 Republican senators. But when it came to Kavanaugh, she started off questioning him on behalf of the Republicans. But then Lindsey Graham, the South Carolina Republican senator, he decided to uh, ask his own questions. Now, he's a, a lawyer and a former prosecutor himself. And he was incredibly aggressive in attacking the Democrats. He said that he had never seen anything so despicable in his whole time in the Senate. He started pointing across the aisle at the Democrats, and his face grew redder and redder. I've dealt with Lindsey Graham a fair number of times over the years. I have never seen him so angry. So after that, each of the Republican senators decided they were going to ask their own questions. I think it's partly because Ms. Mitchell took some criticism from conservatives after the morning session that she had been too easy on Ms. Ford and that she really hadn't elicited any uh, evidence that would undermine Ms. Ford's claims and allegations against Brett Kavanaugh. And so each senator then proceeded to you know, attack the Democrats and support Brett Kavanaugh with uh, as much ammunition as they could. And so the afternoon descended into a much, much more partisan session with the Democrats and the Republicans taking each other on in a way that just didn't happen in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that sort of leads me to my next question, Dimitri, which is that, you know, in both Ford's testimony and in Kavanaugh's testimony, we heard great detail, in some cases, graphic detail. But what do you think was perhaps the most sort of revealing element of the day? I think the most revealing element probably was just the intense political nature of what we were witnessing. I mean, Donald Trump has been very, very supportive of Brett Kavanaugh, even when other people have been very critical. However, on Wednesday evening in a press conference in New York at the United Nations, he said that while he still stood behind Brett Kavanaugh, it was conceivable that he might change his mind after watching the testimony uh, today, Thursday. But I think, you know, it was incredibly, you know, aggressive. That was one of the things that stood out. On the other hand, many, many people, including some conservatives, thought that Miss Ford's testimony was very credible. 
And I think, you know, when we broke for the, the break between Ms. Ford and Mr. Kavanaugh testifying, there were some people who said, well, the Republicans are real in real trouble now, that Ms. Ford really was a credible witness, and it would be very hard for Mr. Kavanaugh to be voted onto the court after that. But after Mr. Kavanaugh's performance in the afternoon, you know, it was such a strong performance from the conservative point of view that I think some people are saying, well, maybe the, the conservative base are very happy with the way he performed, and that wavering Republican senators might decide that they really can't afford not to vote for him because they would be damaged uh, in their electoral prospects in the future. Such a sort of visceral symbol of the political divisions you've been reporting on for the last few years. Lastly, Dimitri, this sort of moment that Washington finds itself in right now, how would you describe the stakes? The stakes, I think, are huge. So first of all, there's the court itself. If Judge Kavanaugh is confirmed, you are putting a relatively young judge on a bench, which we will have its uh, ideological balance shift to the right, potentially for decades. And it comes as Donald Trump may have another opportunity, as a lot of the judges are quite old, over the next two years or six years if he is re-elected to put another conservative judge on the bench. So in that sense, the stakes are very high, and particularly because if you put young judges on the bench, their impact on American society is going to be much longer lasting than Donald Trump or the next, if we have a, a Democratic president. The second thing is, you know, we are six weeks away from the critical November midterm elections. You know, midterms are always important because they're a referendum on the, on the president and the party in power. This time it's even more important because at the moment the Democrats don't control either the House or the Senate. But if they control the House after November, they could start impeachment proceedings against Donald Trump. If they control the Senate, they can block Donald Trump from putting conservative judges on the Supreme Court if there's another vacancy. So really, the stakes are very high. And so, you know, how voters and particularly how female voters who are very fired up this year are going to react to the debate over Judge Kavanaugh is going to be, I think, critical over the next six weeks as we start to see the, the lay of the land before the November elections actually arrive. And we should note that uh, you and I are speaking on Thursday evening on the East Coast. As it stands right now, the committee is slated to vote on Friday. Yes. So the plan at the moment, and it, it could change, of course, during the night, depending on how some Republican senators, if they change their mind, the Judiciary Committee will hold a vote at some point on Friday. The balance is 11 Republicans and 10 Democrats. The key person on that committee is Jeff Flake. He's an Arizona senator who's retiring this year, and is, he's a Republican, but he's a big critic of Donald Trump. And he has not said whether he will vote for Judge Kavanaugh or not. If he voted no on Friday in the committee hearing, that would then derail Brett Kavanaugh's chances of getting onto the Supreme Court. If Brett Kavanaugh passes through the committee, then at the moment the Republicans are saying that they will hold a full Senate vote on Saturday, at which point the senators who are really the most critical will be Republican Susan Collins from Maine and Republican Lisa Murkowski from Alaska and potentially another Republican, Bob Corker from Tennessee. Ms. Collins and Ms. Murkowski are concerned about Mr. Kavanaugh potentially because of his views on abortion. So they have already you know, signaled indirectly that they, they have some concerns. So the question is whether the testimony of Dr. Ford and the way uh, Judge Kavanaugh responded today will shift them in either direction and will be, will be critical when we get to a final vote. All right, Dimitri, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. That was the FT's Dimitri Sevastopolo in D.C. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more news.
Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.